For many parents, the pandemic has brought into sharp focus the role of teachers and just how much work they do. Not only are teachers expected to teach their core subjects, but supervise lunch times and after-school activities, support students' mental health, and complete a large amount of administrative work. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. For our latest report, Making Time for Great Teaching, our staff surveyed more than 5,000 Australian teachers and school leaders about the impact of these responsibilities on teachers' time. The results are dramatic and here to dig into what they mean for education in Australia are the authors of the report, Education Program Director Jordana Hunter, Deputy Program Director Julie Sonneman and Associate Rebecca Joyner. Welcome guys. Thanks Kat. Great to be here. So Julie, I really want to start with you. What drew you to this question of teacher time? Well look, we always know that teaching is a hard job um, but there have been really big shifts in what we expect from schools and from teachers over time. Back in the day, schools were just expected to, to maybe get some basic academic outcomes, but now we expect much more from schools that they develop the whole child. So not only academics, but also other things like teamwork um, and creativity and resilience. And we also know that there's been big changes in what we expect teachers to do in the classroom. So our, our expectations are much higher. We expect a clinical approach to teaching, um, with teachers collecting data on student learning and, and tracking student progress. And we also expect schools to play a really key role in society and tackle, you know, a number of different social issues like, like bullying, for example. Um, and look, all of these things are changes for the positive, but we do, you know, they do have significant implications for teachers' workloads. And we do hear a lot from teachers when we visit visit schools that workload is, is, a, is a really big issue. I think what really got our attention on this issue is that teachers are saying and they actually don't have time for the core part of their job, which is to plan for class. Um, and if we know that teachers are being pulled in so many different directions all at once, that, you know, that can impact teaching quality and, and that ultimately impacts students. So we really need to think hard about how we use this precious resource. Um, and our report really wanted to get under the hood and actually look at some of the, the real issues and understand what's driving this. Um, and what are some practical solutions that might be possible that teachers also think are good ideas? And, you know, we know this is a space where um, there, are, there has been a lot of um, research and studies, but a lot has been commissioned um, by the unions. And we, and we felt like this is a really good space for an independent think tank to also be playing. And we'll get into some of those findings in a second. But Jordana, you did the maths on all of the things that teachers are required to do in a week. Can teachers actually physically do the work that they're required to do in a 40-hour work week? This is really the million-dollar question, isn't it? And I should say, ideally, they get it done in a 38-hour work week uh, in, in most cases. So, look, we uh, we worked with a number of teachers and we were really lucky to have some teachers, a uh, uh, teacher on our team uh, when we were doing the research as well. And uh, we were able to sit down and have a hard think about the job for a secondary teacher. We took the example of a secondary uh, English teacher uh, who, you know, they've got a lot of marking, they've got a lot of lesson prep they need to do. In Victoria, uh, secondary teachers are expected to spend around 10 hours a week preparing if they're going to get the job done in 38 hours a week. If that teacher has 110 students, perhaps, you know, 22 students per class across five classes, 
uh, and they would have spent half of that preparation time on each student, you know, thinking about what the, the particular needs of that student were, marking their worth, uh, thinking about how they're going to support them in the classroom. That would only give them three minutes per student. Now, that's really, um, that's not a lot of time to get, to get that, uh, you know, hard work done. So if they were going to spend 15 minutes per student, really thinking about their needs, marking their work, uh, giving them some constructive feedback. They'd need 28 hours a week just to reach all 110 students. So that's a really tough ask. You know, that that just can't be fit into the standard working week. The same would go for maths teachers and, and geography teachers and the like. Even if we have the number of students that each teacher worked with at the secondary level or we have their face-to-face teaching time, they still couldn't get that work done in the standard 10 hours a week for preparation. And, of course, that's not all teachers need to do in that time. There's meetings, there's professional development, there's communications with parents and, of course, all the crisis management that goes on in schools week to week. So it's a tough ask and, uh, you know, I think it points to the fact that tinkering around the edges is probably not going to be enough to solve this challenge. It's not a matter of finding an extra hour or two here. Uh, We really need to stop, I think, and fundamentally rethink how we organise teachers' time in schools and make sure the expectations are such that teachers can get to the end of their to-do list every week. One of the big questions that follows on from that million-dollar question is actually how this impacts student outcomes because at the end of the day that's what we're looking at and if teachers are running out of time and overwhelmed how is that impacting the students? Well look I think this is a real cause for concern and it it just really underlines why addressing this workload issue is important for teachers so that they enjoy their jobs they're not burnt out you know they feel refreshed and ready when they step into the classroom but it's also important for students because we know that the quality of teaching students receive is the biggest in-school factor uh, that can improve their learning outcomes which at the end of the day is why we want schools why we want children in schools is so that they can learn so if teachers aren't prepared when they step into the classroom if they simply do not have time to think about how they're delivering that lesson and meeting the needs of students in their classroom learning's going to suffer it's as simple as that and I think that underlines why you know really doing the hard work to address the issue is so critical especially now in Australia uh, where we've all agreed that we you know it's a national priority to improve outcomes for students learning outcomes this is a really important place for us to start. Now, I've said on the podcast before that both of my parents are teachers and they really wanted me to go into teaching as a career. And one of the reasons I didn't was because I remember so vividly the nights of them marking and working overtime at home, well into the evenings, um, getting lessons prepared, doing reports and all the things that they're really passionate about. But I didn't feel like I wanted that lifestyle. Beck, how does teaching compare to other professions here? You're totally right, Kat, about the lifestyle. So both the domestic and the international data confirms that teachers do work really long hours during term time, whichever way you look at it. So Australian census data shows that on average teachers work 44 hours a week during term time, which is a lot higher than other general professionals who work 40 hours a week. So Australian teachers are also working really long hours when you look at the international data too. So OECD data shows that Australian secondary teachers work an average of 45 hours a week, and that's compared to an international average of 40 hours. 
And I think, too, we've also done previous research at Grattan about teacher pay, and you can read that research for free on our website as well at grattan.edu.au. But I know you all want to get into the survey results. Now, this survey went off. We had 5,000 respondents. Beck, what did you find? Yeah, we were so happy with the survey response rate, Kat. Uh, So we asked teachers a range of questions about the extent to which they had sufficient time for effective teaching, the barriers to their time and their views on possible reform options. And as Julie was talking about earlier, what we found was more than 90% of teachers said they don't have enough time to prepare well for class, which is worrying. They also highlighted a range of barriers that limit their time. So a key concern um, is that many teachers think the workload for what effective teaching entails is just too high. Teachers also said there's not enough support for their struggling students and they felt there's not enough protected planning time and that required face-to-face teaching hours are too long. We also tested their views on a number of cost-effective reform options, uh, which were really positive, Um, so that's a good sign. And I think while it's a complex issue, there are things that can be done so that that many teachers would support, so that's a really positive sign. Julie, you've got a number of recommendations in the report which break down these sections based on the survey responses. Let's go through them one by one. And the first recommendation is to let teachers teach. And that sounds simple enough, but how do we do that? So that's really true, Kat. It's a really um, simple principle, let teachers teach. Um, What we're trying to say with that is really just match teachers' work to their expertise. So what are the things that a teacher really needs to do Um, that only they can do and what are some of the other things that perhaps others could do instead or to to support teachers in their roles. And we see there's two kind of angles to this. One is what are some of of those activities that non-teacher or education support staff could help with? Um, You know, we know that teachers do a lot of supervision activities, as you uh, mentioned in the introduction. So there's, you know, a lot of time spent supervising clubs, um, sport, yard duty, chasing permission slips, You know, a lot of these things don't require a teaching degree. Um, And look, in our survey, when we did ask teachers their views on whether they thought others could um, cover some of these activities, overwhelmingly, like 70% of teachers came back and said they would be very happy for other staff to be taking some of those things off their plates. And then if they did, they could open up two hours a week, for example, on average. And look, that might sound small, but that's actually a really significant amount of time when teachers are really stretched. And probably the other big area um, is really better using specialist staff to assist with some of the um, teachers in teaching some of the students who are really struggling or who might have complex learning needs in the class. This is, again, in our survey, an area where teachers said they feel especially swamped. There's real issues with complexity that they face in the classroom um, and that they're really um, saying that they don't have enough support to teach uh, students who, who might be struggling. And This isn't about absolving responsibility for for those students, but simply about being realistic about how do you deliver higher um, and more intensive supports for the students who really need it. Um, And so that might be drawing on other professionals in the classroom, like speech pathologists or literacy um, specialists. I think we're all in agreement that that teachers' work needs to be better supported by others, Um, but we know that just throwing more staff at the problem isn't necessarily going to help. We actually have increased the wider workforce in schools a lot, you know, over the past 30 years, we've doubled the number of, more than doubled the number of um, administrative staff and teachers' aides in in schools um, relative to students at the same time that the number of teachers, um, you know, has been held pretty constant. So it's really about how do you deploy and use these staff well 
So we know from research overseas, for example, in the UK, that where they, where they just increased teaching assistance in schools, it actually didn't have positive effects and it actually didn't reduce teachers' workloads. And in some cases, there were actually detrimental impacts on student learning because some of the most the children who needed them the most support were actually uh, being left with a support worker who perhaps was a little bit out of their depth. Um, and so, you know, this is about really making sure that we've got the right conditions in place when we are using extra staff to support to support students. I think what we'd really like to see in Australia is much more attention on this issue. Jordana, the second recommendation is to reduce unnecessary tasks. What do you see as unnecessary for teachers to be doing? Thanks, Kat. Yeah, look, there are a range of tasks that happen in schools uh, that we, we hear from teachers, you know, really get in the way of their core business around teaching and learning in the classroom. Uh, one of the tasks that we hear a lot about is administration. So there is a real concern, I think, that there's a number of new initiatives uh, developed either by government, sometimes by school leaders, and that this can create a pretty significant administrative burden on teachers. And, and that, you know, doing that paperwork can really get in the way of, of uh being better prepared for the classroom. So, you know, that is that is a concern. I think realistically, a lot of that administration uh, is not necessarily going to go away. The question is, can we organise it in a way and organise staff in schools in a way that it has as little impact as possible um, on teachers? Uh, you know, there's certainly... Uh, administration around child safety provisions and, you know, uh, appropriate uh, spending in schools uh, that I think is probably here to stay. And, and, you know, there's good reasons for that. So it's about streamlining that as much as possible. One thing we don't hear about as much, though, is the suite of tasks that teachers often perform in order to be prepared for the classroom each day that perhaps could be done more effectively in a number of schools. One of those is really around preparing for lessons. Uh, teachers spend about a third of their time each week doing those classroom preparation activities and only about 8% of their time each week on administration. So I think that really points to the fact that, you know, looking for those improvements uh, should really happen across the full suite of tasks that teachers do. And lesson preparation is one that we really looked at closely in our, in our survey. Uh, we had heard from a number of teachers that there was quite a bit of reinventing of the wheel happening, unfortunately. So, you know, even though, uh, you know, teachers have been teaching these subjects for years and years, if a new teacher comes into that job and has a new responsibility for a new subject, some of those teachers were having to develop their materials from scratch. And that's not necessarily a great way to be organising teachers' time. So what we did here was that around 88% of teachers uh, thought they could save a significant amount of time, on average around three hours a week, if they had access to high-quality lesson resources that were already prepared. So they didn't have to do that work themselves. Uh, and instead, they could spend that time really engaging with those pre-prepared resources, thinking about how they would deliver them effectively, given the students that they had in their class, and focusing on sort of understanding student learning and adapting in response to that. So that to us seems like an area where we could really benefit from some more uh, thinking to support teachers. 
So the third recommendation in the report is around reorganising teacher time to regain precious hours for preparation. And one of them is about class sizes. But before we dig into it, I'd love to share my experience of teaching large classes because I'm actually a qualified ESL teacher. I was doing my accreditation in Thailand and at one point had to teach a class with 50 students in it using a microphone and a boombox. So, Jordana, when we talk about increasing class sizes, we're not talking about 50 kids in an Australian classroom, are we? Certainly not, Kat. That is certainly not what we're talking about here. And I I think, look, the class size issue is a really interesting one. Um, You know, I think everything else being equal, most teachers would say they'd prefer smaller class sizes if they could have it. And, you know, that that makes a lot of sense to us as well. But I think what's interesting to understand is just the trade-offs that are involved in that. So keeping class sizes small is quite an expensive uh, strategy and it does mean that if we're keeping class sizes small, there's less money available to spend on other things, including additional release time from face-to-face teaching. So, you know, the question we asked teachers was how would they feel about a small increase in class sizes? We're talking an additional three students here per class in exchange for an additional two hours of release time from face-to-face teaching. And the large majority of teachers were in favour of that. We tested that at a few different levels because we need to remember that there actually is already a large variation in class sizes across the country. Some teachers are teaching classes that are very small, less than 20 students in them. Uh, Others are teaching classes that are much larger, pushing 30 students, 27, 30 students. So we tested how teachers would feel about a small increase, say up to around 25 students, and then again, uh, a small increase of up to around 30 students. And in both cases, a majority of teachers were supportive provided the savings were invested in additional release time so they could prepare prepare effectively for class. I think that's something that is not going to work in all circumstances. Obviously, there are some circumstances in some schools, but keeping those class sizes smaller is the right the right strategy, particularly for children who are perhaps uh, from very disadvantaged backgrounds, say, or really are facing a lot of learning struggles. But there are other instances where nudging those class sizes up a little could create that headroom in the budget to allow uh, teachers to have some more release time. And I think that's just a conversation we'd like to see schools and teachers having uh, so that they can explore that where it makes sense for them. And I think it's important to remember that that time is not for meetings, it's not for admin work, it's for teacher release. You know, if we were to go down this path and that additional time, that additional two hours was simply to be uh, eaten up by more administration, uh, more dousing of spot fires, uh, more, you know, uh, meetings that were unproductive, then really that would not serve the interests of teachers or students. So uh, any additional increase in uh, in planning time that comes through a reduction in face-to-face teaching time really needs to be protected so that staff and teachers have the time available to prepare for effective teaching. If we can't get that right, then, uh, you know, we're, we're probably not going to see a benefit. Quickly, though, there was also talk about um, potentially having more planning time um, in kind of that pre-school semester opening time. Um, Did you want to talk about that a little bit? This is a really interesting one. When we were designing the survey, we spoke to a lot of teachers and former teachers, and and something that we heard from them was that there was this... uh, 
vicious cycle, I think, happening uh, for many teachers in the workforce. So they're working really long hours during term time, a lot of weekend work, late night work, and a lot of stress during the day uh, when they're in the classroom at school. Uh, They're getting to the end of term, collapsing in a bit of a heap, uh, and then, you know, obviously really relying on those term breaks as an opportunity to recharge. So one of the questions we were interested in understanding was if there was a way of smoothing workload, so maybe doing a little bit more of that preparation work, thinking about the students uh, in your particular class that year, uh, if that work was done in term breaks, so during the the school holidays for students, uh, would that reduce those workload pressures, those big peaks that teachers experience during term time? So we tested that in our survey. And we asked teachers how they'd feel about doing an extra two to three days during term breaks on some of that really critical preparation work. And 58% of teachers came back and said they thought that that would reduce their workload during term time. So again, this is something that we think is worth considering uh, because it really could uh, help uh, make that that term time work uh, much smoother for teachers and reduce that vicious cycle of, of really intense activity during term breaks and sort of the the burnout that the teachers report feeling on the holidays. So given so much of this stuff needs evaluation, um, but there are some really exceptional suggestions here for how to reform teacher time and, and give them more time in the week. Julie, where did government start with this? So we're recommending government start by investing in a national program of research to really pilot some of the some concrete options. And what will be different about these pilot studies is that they're not just looking at what works, but they're very much about how to implement what works. How do you actually organise the resources in a school and the staff time so that you can get the best possible outcome? Um, and that's the kind of research that we actually don't have enough of in education. We're recommending that, that the types of things that are looked at within this, this program of research are really some of the big things that are in these kind of three reform directions that we've just been talking about today. We've identified a, a few um, cost-effective reform options in our report. We'd certainly like to see those piloted, but we also think, you know, there could be many other promising ideas out there that we also haven't tested. So, you know, we really just need to start by scoping and listening and looking at what are the most promising ideas that might work and then putting a bit of rigour around them in terms of testing them in, in, in new sort of programs on a small scale. And look, $60 million might sound like a lot of money, but actually when you think about the fact that we spend $65 billion um, per annum on recurrent school expenditure every year, it's, it's an absolute drop in the ocean. So it's less than 0.1% of what we invest. Um, and look, I think if, if we can't as a country sort of stump up that money to really start testing um, these things more granularly, then I think we need to really, you know, reassess our, 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 our priorities given how important we're saying that the school education is to us. Um, but it's important to say that we're not just recommending, you know, a program of, of research. Um, we're also suggesting that there, there actually are a lot of things that school leaders can do now as well, and that's what our school leader guide points to. Um, and we think that governments should really be investing a lot more in training for school leaders on these issues too. Any kind of change process is hard, and while, you know, our survey results have shown that, that a lot of teachers feel positively about some of the reforms that, um, that, are, that are being floated, you know, no doubt school leaders you know, everyone needs um, support to make those types of big organisational changes. So I think um, maybe just to wrap up, I think as a last comment, you know, we're, we're pretty optimistic that, um, you know, governments can take, do a lot to sort of be investing in some of those long-term reforms, but also supporting schools to, to make changes that can be, that can be made.
So thank you, Jordana, Julie, and Beck, for your insights into the education system and how we can change it for the better to free up teacher time for better lesson preparation and less overwhelm for teachers in Australia. We'd also like to thank the Origin Energy Foundation for their generous and timely support of this report. We're really grateful for their support here. If you'd like to read the report itself, the principles guide, or the survey results, they're all available for free online on our website at grattan.edu.au. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on your favourite podcasting app. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, you can do so on social media on Twitter at Grattan Inst or on all our social media channels as Grattan Institute. Otherwise, you can chat to Jordana and Julia on Twitter directly. As always, in these uncertain times, please take care, especially if your little ones are going back to school. And thanks so much for listening.